Hello, Chris here from Old Dirty Brastards. If you're a big fan of this podcast, you can support it through the ACAST support feature. You can give as little or as much as you like, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the description to support now. Thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Old Dirty Brastards podcast episode number four. It's day 89 in lockdown, week 13, and here we are talking about our latest release, Reptilia by The Strokes. As always, joining us, he's the puppet master, the brains behind the operation, the producer, it is Sebastian Philpott. Hi Seb, how you doing? Hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. You all good? Um, Have you um, just done your Prokofiev? Yeah, just we just played um, Prokofiev's Fifth Symphony in the um, ever-expanding and... Uh, Always, always better each week. It's it's the play along symphony yeah, thing. Wonderful. Every Friday we play a different symphony, and this one I completely sight read. I, I literally had never heard it before. Whoa, skills. It was uh, <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah, yeah. because you were going to do Shoss Five, right? Shostakovich's fifth. Yeah, we were going to do Shoss Five, and people were saying, "Oh, it'll be fine," because because basically the, the music's still in copyright. So, oh really? Um, yeah, but they were like, "Oh, you'll be able to find it somewhere. Someone will have a copy," mm. and basically we couldn't find any copies so no, at the last no minute did. we changed to uh prokofiev 5 nice which nice, um nice, has nice. got a lot we actually I, I had a look through um shostakovich 5 i did find the trumpet part and there's like hardly anything to do and what you do have to do it's just really hard and not fun at all <laughs> no offense to any shostakovich fans out there but um prokofiev yeah. 5 was a, was a bit more varied and exciting nice. i would suggest lovely stuff lovely it was good yeah great uh and then Back again, producer and arranger this week. It is Mr. Johnny Abraham. How you doing, Johnny? Hi, Chris. Hello. I'm good, thanks. Um, I too was with Seb playing some Prokofiev yeah. um, by sight. By sight. <laughs> yes. by sight. Used your eyes, not, yeah. not, not Braille. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't feel my way through it. I looked at it. You looked at it and read yeah. the notes. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's a good skill, isn't it? It's a good skill to have. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Excellent, excellent. How's um how's your week been, Chris? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, you look like you're in a place of calm. I'm in my um, bedroom today, yeah. This I've is your a, bedroom, is it? This is my bedroom. This is the boudoir. This is my Let me to describe bedroom. it to the listeners. The walls are crimson. There's silk <laughs> there's silk everywhere. <laughs> is that How a clear as if you got Chris? <laughs> That's just the ceiling, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just the ceiling. Is that a chaise long? A, a gold 
a gilded <laughs> chaise long. Wow. Absolutely. On the absolutely. ceiling. Absolutely. absolutely yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I've got oh. a man in at the moment doing the windows out the back, which is nice. So that's oh, nice. lovely. What's he doing to him? He's uh, making sure they don't leak. Some kind of biblical stained glass scenes. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. He's just putting in a nice stained glass of me, Holly and Ziggy, all in some (laughs) sort of weird messiah pose. Yeah, yeah, no, he's just doing the windows so they don't leak. Because if you have windows, people, and they leak, it causes you problems. For God's sake, close them. Exactly, yes. I I don't know how to do that. There's someone showing Holly how to do it. Um, But yes, the week's been all good. Thanks, Johnny. You? Great. Yeah, uh, nice, thanks. Just been... um, well, I don't know, it's all blended in together, but it's been generally fine. Wonderful. Oh, and it's, a, it's not a Saturday today, so you don't have to jump out early today, do you, Johnny? Do we get you for no, the whole no, thing? No, no, not unless this goes on <laughs> <laughs> for two hours. <laughs> we'll try our best, we, but yeah. We can hope, we can hope, I suppose. Wonderful, wonderful. Right, we've got three three new faces joining us today, or three new voices. Uh, who shall we start with? Let's start with the lowest the lowest player of the band. Uh, it's the baby-faced assassin on tuba, Mr. Richard Evans. We've talked about him a lot uh, in the last couple of episodes, so here he is now to to say say his part. Hello, Richard. How are you? Hello, Chris. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, very good. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. It's exciting to have you in, because we, we, uh, we, have, we have talked about you in the last couple of episodes, because you're quite an, in, sort of, quite an integral part, so it's now it's sort of nice to get your take. It would be nice to get your take on uh, on things and whatnot, um, we haven't slagged you off either, so that's good. Well, yeah, that's good. Not that we know. not that we realise, not that we know. <laughs> we were saving it for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, how how face is face. how is lockdown treating you? Uh, it's all right. It's a bit boring, but uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Keeping keeping mostly sane, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Got a bit of teaching, which is helping put food on the table. And Wonderful. aside from that, don't know what I'm doing. But yeah. uh, the weeks are passing by. <laughs> they are, Dickie they? has been slowly transforming his body. I've been watching it on a weekly basis. He, he's got he's got a chest like Harrison Ford. <laughs> wow! What the chest of a seventy year old man? That... <laughs> Thanks. That's right, yeah. I didn't realise you were going to start hair. start the abuse quite so early into the <laughs> proceedings. For those at home, um, Richard's wife. Well, I don't know why I'm calling you Richard. Dickie's wife. Uh, is a dancer and PT instructor and can be seen on occasion putting us all through our paces. And I think Richard's been doing quite a lot of uh, classes. You've been doing like one a day, haven't you, Dickie? I've doing been quite a lot. Yeah. I've been doing some exercise once a day, yeah. Well, well it shows. It as, shows. As we're supposed to be doing, as instructed <laughs> yes, by the government. At least half an hour once a <laughs> yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Looking well, hench. Well, hench. Oh, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, let's keep it in the brass. Uh, next up, making his debut on the podcast, uh, trumpet player extraordinaire. He's done all the parts in the Brastards. He's a, a utility trumpet player floating around back there. We know him as Seabass, uh, but he is on his birth certificate. It's David Gagan. Hello, David. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Christopher. How are you? Yeah, very well. <laughs> Thank you. Very well. It's nice. Not- Nice to see everyone's faces. I miss yeah. you guys. Oh, we miss all of you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How's lockdown treating you? Oh, mate, living the vida lockdown. Um, <laughs> fun times. <laughs> fun times, yeah. You know, just uh, trying to make the most of it, really. Um, uh, kind of bit of a change for me as I'm now cohabiting with my 
of a half, uh, yeah. which is yeah, 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 which is which is very nice. Um, yeah, yeah, never lived with a, a lady before. It's quite is that, nice, isn't is it? Is that who you've hidden behind that duvet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the listeners out there, I've got a very um, a very nice setup uh, here involving a clothes horse and a duvet. So, um, uh, very fine acoustics going on right now. Um, yeah, so. It's all changed. I was kind of, I was uh, renting, uh, living on my own uh, at the start of this. And then I packed a, an overnight bag thinking it was going to be for, you know, three or four weeks. And here we are, three or four months later. Yeah. Um, still alive. So, yeah. Yeah. Still, <laughs> still alive. Yeah. Hanging in there. Um, yeah, doing okay, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Are you still have you still got your other flat though? Are you, are you looking forward to going back or? Uh... Uh, no, <laughs> uh, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I haven't actually handed in my notice yet. So if we could keep that on the DL, um, that'd be okay. That'd be great. Hopefully, my landlord... right. no one, no one's listening to this anyway. Hopefully, my landlord's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been. I've probably been back to my flat maybe two or three times just to like pick up some post and. Uh, just like get some more clothes, nice. <laughs> get some more tracksuit bottoms. Um, but yeah, that's about it, really. So um, yeah, I think I'm over the next couple of months gonna gonna kind of officially move in together. So that's oh, been yeah. so that's yeah. you know that's been a real silver lining in this yeah. absolute hellhole of a world we're living in right <laughs> now. So um, yeah, yeah, bit of well, comfort, bit of comfort there. That yeah. and the length of your beard. Oh yes, yeah. Looking, looking, looking luscious. Thank, thank you so much. I've grown it myself. Massive beard, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you oil? Yeah. Do you oil that beard? I, I, I normally do, Johnny. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm afraid I didn't have time today because I also no. was um, performing some Prokofiev. Yeah. So um, it was a bit of a rush. It was either, it was either put some oil in my beard or have a warm up. So I, I decided to have a warm up instead. Okay. Um, but Quick yeah. splash of crisp and dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're away. Uh, exactly. Lovely, lovely. Yeah. Oh, nice. And then the the third person to join us for their debut on the podcast, he's the other guy in the band that hits stuff. <laughs> he's from Scotland. It's Eddie Hackett on percussion. How are you doing, Eddie? You're right. I'm very good, Chris. How are you doing? It's lovely to see yeah, you good. and the rest of the boys. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to see everyone. It's always nice to get on these and uh, have a good old chat. Remember, remember the old days. Um, yeah, how's lockdown for you, Eddie? All good? Yeah, fine, fine. I mean, just sort of pretty much the same as, as everyone, kind of making the, trying to make the best of it. Um, I've been doing other bits and pieces with the um, with the other job I do at the Lost Estate. So we've kind of been busy doing a few bits and pieces there. We've uh, we've made this home cocktail kit. Um, so that's kind oh, of yeah. been pretty pretty interesting doing that over the past couple of weeks and um i've had i've the my wife and i we um we bought a place at the start of the the year which has been getting renovated over the past couple of months so kind of been bits and pieces doing that but um yeah otherwise you know getting up doing my joe wicks in the morning 
I don't think my chest is going to be as good as Dickie's, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah don't, tell, don't tell Dale. Don't tell Dale. Don't, do, don't talk about yeah, JW. Don't, don't mention, you've don't only mention got, his you've name. You've only got the chest of a 65-year-old man. <laughs> 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 Maybe Dickie and I should have a little chest off, so he's got the chest best chest. No. Yeah, in the time it's taken you to buy a house when you started the process, I've had a child and brought my own house and renovated <laughs> half of it. <laughs> just, to, just to put it in perspective for you. Not that it's a All competition. Right. No, need but, to, no need to show up, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I think a it's, podcast, I, a podcast about boasting, is it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just think it's it's fair to say you've been through some absolute shocking luck with that first house you tried to buy. Oh, so it's yes. amazing yeah, that yeah, you've yeah. got this place and can't be happier for you, buddy. Yeah, awesome. oh, thank you, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Right, Johnny. Hello. Hi, Chris. Produce the tune, arrange the tune. Bravo. Um, how was it for you this one? Uh, this was this was a lot of fun. I got very fond memories of this song, like many many fond memories. Um, but the earliest one I have is that I think Room Room on Fire came out in like two thousand and three, two thousand and four. At which time I was not able to drive my own car, and um, so my dad used to give me a lift to Brass Quintet on a Tuesday, and. Um, so I bought Room on Fire with my pop, with my paper round money yeah. and um, we used to listen to it. With this track, I just played it over and over again because I just couldn't get enough of it. The first t- thing that kind of hit me in this song was just the, um, like, you can just hear everything. There's, it's like you can just hear the, the bass, drums, guitar, left and right, vocal in the middle. Um, and like, I was, that kind of raw indie sound was kind of, went on to like inform like basically all my listening for the next three or four years i think (laughs) so it was just so exciting and um so formative yeah and just an amazing like an amazing thing to to kind of get me into that world like all all i wanted to learn how to do was to play that song when i heard it like it just made me want to pick up a guitar and and like be in a rock band so yeah it was pretty um it was pretty exciting thing to listen to at the time, and then to come back and arrange it was cool because I went into the went into the, like the layers of it and tried to strip it apart and and, um, and make it work for us. guess that's quite always trying to do something because there's quite a lot of just driving quavers in this one isn't there and yeah it's yeah. always quite hard to well, do it's, um, on brass yeah it? i mean i remember in this for this show it, obviously like this wasn't a um, room on fire show it was is this it show the other track i'd done for is this it was uh trying your luck mm. which i kind of eventually made into this like bossa nova type thing yeah. um and like took quite far away from the original and then with reptilia i just thought like this is you know this is kind of this is an encore tune and this is a song that everyone's expecting um and it was like it was a moment of like give people what they want don't mess around with it too much yeah so in the early stages it was just like yeah it was a pretty straight transcription of of the tune and um i think live we kind of get away with it but then um like I think at the start of the recording process, 
it exposed like I exposed the uh, m- the kind of um shortcomings of my own arrangement because the tuba part was impossible to play <laughs> um uh, which I'm sure like Dickie will probably attest to too but um yeah it wasn't it just it wasn't a practical thing to like play that that many repeated quavers on a tuba um no uh well you basically wrote me a tuba part whilst I sat <laughs> in the studio waiting for yeah. you to finish it. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. We're not having that. Let's I think at the, a cup of tea and then yeah. came back and wrote a new one. At the start of the session, I said, I said, oh, I think, I think I might make a couple of small changes to the tuba part. And then, yeah, it was completely different in the end, but I'm so glad we changed that. And that also it was quite nice um, changing it on the spot with Dickie here. So like I could hear everything that he was doing and, and like, fine I, I think it just felt a bit more natural in the end because mm. i uh, like we'd try something out and then it'd be like oh that's still a bit it's still a bit kind of long and 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 like consistently like playing we need to break it up but yeah so i think what we ended up with together you know eventually was a far more like interesting baseline so yeah totally yeah well yeah. when we got the rough mix like we didn't know that you guys had done it. And no. yeah, it's amazing how by changing one part, you can like change the vibe of the piece massively. Mm. Not and that amazing when you consider it's the most important part, Chris. Well, of yeah. course, of course, Dickie. So yes, 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 yes. When you change the most important part, it's amazing what an impact it can have on the, uh, the overall effect of the piece. But yeah, it's brilliant. I didn't notice any difference. <laughs> <laughs> no, neither did I actually. It's <laughs> because you're still down the other end from me usually. <laughs> The yes. thing is, though, like I don't know, Dicky, but like obviously live, you can you can just get away with what you want to, really. But I, you were probably doing like some of what we ended up doing anyway. I guess you probably yeah. had to like take those breaks naturally because it was such a a um, a poorly <laughs> a poorly chosen <laughs> part. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, no, there definitely was some modifications going on live. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, nice to have something a bit more exciting to play as well than just. Yeah. Well, I just, I can't wait to play it live because the only time I've actually played it is oh, that yeah. one time oh, course, when we yeah. recorded it. And I don't think, don't think we did it at, at a gig. That really, that's amazing. Much- to think like because that's such a separate time in my head although I was sat in the same chair obviously with lockdown it's just just scuppered everything and and to think that that was the last thing we we didn't do a gig after that recording session it's just bonkers yeah Yeah. wow yeah when was that recording session that was February February, I think I think yeah Yeah. I I came Mm -hmm. around your house kind of beginning of February I think yeah yeah, it seems a long time ago. We were very lucky, actually. We were very lucky to get it, well, almost every, everything. I think, uh, I think Eddie, we might have had to, like, busk our way through a few things um, because we didn't quite get there pre-lockdown. But I think in the main, like, we were pretty lucky to get, uh, you know, nine out of ten parts, like, com- completed. I think also, like, a ma- ma- just on that point, actually, a massive shout-out to, uh, to James Knoll as well, who... Um just for, for various sort of lockdown reasons, James James had the, the ability to to record percussion at his house and I just wasn't able to do it in my flat. 
because um, I didn't have the gear and, you know, neighbours, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, man, he sounds absolutely incredible on the stuff that he's recorded. So, yeah, big shout out to James. The Knoll of Sound. The Knoll of Sound. He'll be yeah, making yeah. an appearance on a later show, I imagine. Will he? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, we should get him on. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, you, used his... you can talk to him about how uh, he mic'd up Rick's drum kit as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rick loved it, didn't he, when he got in there? He was... Yeah. He was... Well, he's, well he talked about it last on the last one, didn't he? How he was... Mm. How the sound was brilliant. So, yeah, we'll get James on and uh, give him a Definitely, big old pat yeah. on the back for having a, a yes. lovely drum <laughs> studio. <laughs> a virtual one. And, a virtual and being a lovely, yeah. And being a lovely human being. Um, but, yeah, Eddie is the percussionist in the group. Obviously, like, you know, because, you know, even if you didn't get to record these, you've played it enough. We've done the Strokes show a couple of times and done some of them live. Obviously, the Strokes don't really use much percussion. <laughs> I think maybe Julian Casablanca's playing a bit of tambourine or something on the kit being used. But I guess there really isn't any. So is there, like, when you have to do, like, these sorts of things, when you're not, we're not really putting a, an existing percussion part in... Do you find that you sort of you have to sort of really dig and find something that really goes, or just what what's the sort of when you when you have to put in some percussion or like we we're because we're sort of with these album shows we've been asking you more and more about what we need to do with percussion because you know we're not really sure we some of us haven't got a bloody clue you're just waving a tambourine and hitting a cowbell that we could see but what do you do you sort of find that there are certain things that you can add into these sort of rockier tracks that sort of really speaks through yeah, on percussion. Yeah, so I suppose like my, so my whole approach to when I um, record percussion and when I, I, I look to kind of add my stuff to the, to the mix, it's basically like my, so my, my background um, in terms of like pop percussion comes really, really actually from salsa. That's, I mean, that's kind of where I, I first really learned how to play hand percussion. Um, and the, and, the other massive influence in my life was um, uh, the percussionist with um, who did all the, the recordings for Motown. He was called Jack Jack Ashford. And he was the guy that basically like the one instrument he had for all of those things. I well two actually. He played a lot of vibes on some tracks, and then he just played tambourine. And he like his tambourine playing is the most groovy, the most hip. Some amazing tambourine on those Motown records. So, and, and there's there's this incredible film actually. I'm, I mean, I'm sure everyone in the Brasters has seen it, but for anyone listening at home uh, that hasn't seen it, there's this um, uh, film which is called Standing in the Shadows of Motown, um, and it's a documentary that came out, I guess, almost ten years ago now, and it was at the point when that backing band that did all the stuff for, you know, all of the big Motown hits of, of you know, the 60s and 70s and, and, and 80s as well. Um, they were called the, the Funk Brothers. And they kind of went into obscurity that, that these recordings, like, they never really got listed or credited. So no one knew who was playing the guitar or the bass or the drums or percussion or any of these things. And um, and so I can't remember who the, who the person was that was the, the director of that film, but whoever it was basically kind of discovered these people again, put back together that backing band uh, and recorded a whole documentary um, about this concert they put on. And there's some absolutely incredible scenes with this guy, Jack Ashford, who, who said that he's no longer with us now. But um, yeah, so when, when I'm approaching... Uh, playing on, on on any brasses tune, I'm, I'm kind of coming from those two perspectives. So on the one hand, I've got all the salsa stuff, which I picked up when I when I was studying in New York and playing a lot on the salsa scene there. 
Um, so that's lots of congas, bongos. Like everyone here loves the cowbell, obviously, clang. Um, <laughs> more cowbell, cow- more cowbell. cowbell. Yeah, and the cowbell, that obviously, that comes from particularly when I, when I played um, in this band in, in New York, um, where I was studying the Manhattan School of Music, Afro-Cuban group. And that was quite a busy, busy band. We played at lots of, um, we played at, you know, Lincoln Center lots, and we did lots of recordings as well. And my, my chair mm. in that band was, uh, was I was the bongo cero, is what they, they call the guy who plays the bongos. And the bongo nice. player has two, yeah. The bongo player That's has two. That's a cool two, title. Yeah, so yeah, bongo cero. Um, bongo cero. Bongo cero, see. yeah. So like bongo cero nice. has basically two main roles. And, and the first is uh, is obviously playing, playing bongos. But the bongo player, when you get up to what's called the mambo, so when things get a little bit more energetic, uh, the bongo player moves from playing uh, bongos up to playing cowbell. Um, and there's a couple mm. of different cowbell patterns that are kind of traditional. So there's lots of bell patterns that I use with bastards. Um, and then pretty much when I'm not playing hand percussion, I'm really looking to try and play tambourine. And for me, that, that comes just from Motown. So with Reptilia in particular, I, I like when I'm, I think Rick uh, Ellsworth, the drummer in the Brasters and I, we've kind of developed, I, I think, quite a, quite a sort of harmonious uh like sound together because Rick Rick can be he's not always a busy drummer but he can be quite a busy drummer so I feel like my my job really is to kind of support Rick and make Rick sound fantastic so I don't I'm not the kind of percussionist who like is always looking to be super busy all the time so particularly on Reptilia I just really wanted to keep it to, to tambourine and try and make the tambourine just really support what what Rick's doing, and actually a lot of the time what Dickie's doing, because the, the three of us were at the kind of you know rhythm section of the band. So um, yeah, just and to I clarify, used... sorry, when you say sorry, Eddie, when you say when you say he's a really busy drummer for the audience at home, not like he's just always doing jobs. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> You mean he's not? You mean he's like he's playing lots of notes on his kit? He yeah, likes to sort yeah. of so, so, I mean, put Rick's, in a lot of bits and bobs. Yeah, I mean Rick's really interesting because he's 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 such a contrasting player from the drummer who who preceded him, Adam Betts, who was really kind of like he was like a human metronome. Adam was and kind of played like the same groove absolutely impeccably for the entire tune. Whereas Rick is probably, I'd have to say, he's probably the most creative drummer that I've certainly ever worked with and he just comes up with all these incredible ideas most of them completely on the fly spontaneously just happen out of the blue so mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of it's my job really to support rick and and then particularly on this recording of reptilia i was also really keen to to work on getting the sound of the tambourine right and i actually specifically bought a, a, a tambourine for this recording of this guy called kevin harley who he makes copies of the same tambourine that this guy Jack Ashford from Motown. Uh, but I got this it. Is, I, got I like it this slightly, going full circle. Full circle, yeah. <laughs> but it's slightly different. So the Jack Ashford tambourine uh, is a, is a is a ten inch tambourine. But I got the same words and the same jingles that he used. But I got it made on an eight inch tambourine. So this is this is again, excuse my French. This is a very wanky thing to go into, but I will go into it anyways. Normally on on the Jack Ashford tambourine, which is a nineteen sixties Ludwig. He played on it's got two rows of jingles um and so mine's got three and i've also added in a couple of different jingles as well and I, I think honestly when when johnny and i recorded it the other thing that johnny and i did as well is that 
Johnny's really up for options. So I also recorded um, just another very straight, uh, more poppy, like brighter sounding tambourine. And I think, Johnny, if I'm not mistaken, you did you layer both instruments on top of each other? Yeah, we had, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember as well, because we had a, um, we had a guiro in, in this tune as well. Um, yeah, it's a bit guiro. And we did, yeah, I think we and, did two and, different yeah, types of guiro. With tambourine, yeah, two types of guiro and two tambourines panned left and right as well. Yeah, options is always a good thing, but also just like layering is also uh, a good thing um, because, yeah, sometimes it's not just having the same exactly the same recording but you might want to kind of have your kind of main tambourine and then a tambourine behind where you scoop out all of the bottom end and put some like quite a a long reverb on it uh and that will kind of like just kind of become more of a texture um i said like where where we record where we record these tunes is really dry so um there's no character really to the sound here but but it just means that we can do we can just do a like kind of whatever we want really with it afterwards. So yeah. I think I think also just the the just the this final little sort of I suppose bit of insight for for percussion when when we're recording. And particularly I think having recorded with Johnny a few times now, just that word of, of options is kind of the most crucial thing because you know when, when you're playing percussion live, obviously like you just got two hands. So your kind of options that you've got are fairly limited. And the really nice thing is um when you're in the studio, you can just layer just, you know, so many lines. Um, so whenever I come in and record anything with Johnny, I think we don't do anything less than like two different versions of the same instrument. So it's never just like we record one take a tambourine and it's done. We'll always definitely do two. Um, and also I think trying to make the two different sounds as contrasting as possible, because I think that helps Johnny being able to, well, I, might, I suppose, I don't know, maybe I'm talking bollocks here. Johnny, does that, does that help you to have two contrasting sounds? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely, it does. It's, it's always good to have to have contrast. Also, you get you get more money doing that, don't you, Eddie? Like, if you want to make two or three parts. Then... Uh, yeah. That's Actually, Chris, it. All I don't think I've sent my invoice for that yet. Yeah, they were, te- they were two years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not, any, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, sorry. The overdub checks in the post for sure. The coffers yeah, aren't sure. looking too great, right? Right. Now. Yeah, but it is. I mean, it is quite fascinating. Like you know, hearing you talk about like tambourines with like three jingle layers and whatnot, it's all very interesting. And like, what well, you know, I, you know, when we first me, you know, me and Rich sort of got the lineup for the band together, um, it didn't even think in our head that we should have a percussionist. We were just like, right, we'll have the eight brass players and we'll have drums, and then sort of you came to a couple of rehearsals, Eddie, and you put some percussion over it. And then, you know, as time goes on, you realise how much, like, you know, dare I say it, percussion, it sort of, it really does paper over a lot of cracks. Um, and <laughs> what, what <laughs> cracks? going to say something complimentary. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, that goes, I say, you know, Eddie does a brilliant job, obviously, you know, but I mean, there's sort of like... Obviously, when you, obviously, you, thank when, you. When, you, when you don't have that, like, you know, there's the, the, the sort of, sometimes percussion can sort of make this constant sort of sound that's there but when you take that away you're just like oh it sounds really empty it just sort of when you add it it's, the, it's like the cherry on the on the top of the cake isn't it it's the sort of that extra little bit that just makes it a bit classy i think the thing about percussion for me is like i mentioned this to to, to you guys earlier on that i think 
you know, there's there are loads of different kinds of um, percussion player player sort of styles out there. I mean, there's, there's for example, there's things like um, like the classic um, recordings of like Chick Corea in the 70s where he played with his percussionist called Ayrto. And Ayrto was the guy who just, I mean, he created sort of like rainforests of sounds and he just had instruments left, mm-hmm. right and centre. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got the other extreme where you've just got Jack Ashford who just makes these incredible grooves sound even better just with like one tambourine. And I, I mean, I, I sort of, I, I'm really interested in, I'm really interested in trying to keep things simple uh, for a variety of different reasons. I mean, there's obviously like, there's a practical thing in there that like when you're gigging around town and, you know, I know this is, for example, this is one of Seb's bugbears is like when you're gigging around town, like if I'm doing a little bit of teaching somewhere and I've got something else, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to put the kitchen sink uh, in the back of the car and get that out for, for a gig, especially when it's like, you know, it's, you've got to spend 50% of your time lugging stuff up the stairs. So there is like a practical consideration to it, but I think also just... I've also never... then you have to plumb it back in when you get home. So <laughs> <pain> <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've just, I think I've, I've always, I've just never, I've never been the person who's been super interested in like having an absolutely massive setup. I'm, I'm more interested in kind of uh, just trying to do, do the simple things really well. Um, and yeah, so yes, percussion is. It, I think in the context of the Brasters, I think as you said, it's not a, it's not a sort of obvious choice. But I do think that um, it it just brings the kind of character and the spirit, and and often like the vibe as well. Like I kind of think like, especially the relationship that that Rick and I have got uh, musically. Like I do think that it it does it kind of heightens things a lot. <laughs> Seabass, hello. Hey. <laughs> Hi. What part did you end up recording for this one? Because obviously for the listeners at home, um, Brasters, when you see us live, there are four trumpet players, and those four trumpet players are playing three parts. Uh, and we normally have two players on the top part because we like to get a lot of screamy, high, choppy stuff in the, 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 the first trumpet part. So we have two people on that, so we can sort of keep that energy going with that part. Um, and we have five trumpet players because when we first started up, everyone was always quite busy. Uh, and so those, it was just those good, were the days, eh? Those heady days. Yeah, we, we could actually do gigs. Um, and so, like, you guys sort of tag in and out for gigs and whatnot and got a nice little rotation system going. And Bass, you've, you've sort of, some guys sort of stay on their own little part that they do quite a lot of the time. But Bass, you've done all the parts. You've done all the mm. parts. So which, when you came to recording, what did you and Johnny sort of work out? What did you What did you get to do on this one? Well, I was actually, like you say, yeah, I, I'm kind of the utility kind of, the, the, the Philip Neville of the band, if you will, you know. Um, <laughs> so just I just kind of just slot in as and as where's required, really. So mm. for this one, actually, I went round to Johnny's and he made me a lovely cup of tea. And then we had a listen to them all. And I was the last one to go in the studio, I think, wasn't I, Johnny? I was the, the last yes. horn player. Yeah. Um, so we just listened back to the tunes. And because um, all the parts, all the brass parts were already recorded. So 
Um, we just listened back to it, and I was just like absolutely knocked out what I was hearing. It sounded amazing. Um, and then we just, yeah, very little really, wasn't it, Johnny? We just kind of had a little chat. He he had a couple of ideas, little kind of bits of um, like just doubling certain voices and things like that, and little. And I, I maybe just had a few little ideas, just a little bits of colour that I wanted to add and stuff, you know. But it was very quick, really. I didn't, you know, it was, um, you know. See, if, um, if percussion is like the cherry on top, then um, Dave was like the, well, can we say maybe some granulated sugar, some like Ooh. a... Like, um, <laughs> some hundreds some, and thousands. And then you, you sprinkle the granulated sugar, then take a... a a uh, culinary blowtorch and just make a <laughs> make a kind of a what's the Dave's you know? creme brulee is that what you're saying that, yeah, that's right I'm the creme brulee of the of the bastards yeah. you're the crunch like of a creme brulee creme brulee I love, I love that I love that analogy Johnny yes. thank you so no much that's um, right but yeah it was really super quick wasn't it I mean we kind of I think you might have chatted about it before on, on a previous um, episode about kind of Double it, the, the kind of Dublin voices um, that ca- ca- gives it that kind of New Orleans kind of vibe. Um, we did a little bit of that, you know, like just on some choruses and things like that. Just just double the odd trumpet line just to kind of beef it up a little bit. And things that you probably wouldn't even really notice until you kind of, you, they were pointed out to you. Um, but they just, just give that little bit of extra kind of colour to the sound and... Uh, and then yeah, just some little bits of uh, you know some shakes and some you know rude noises yeah. and things you know. So it was just that's uh, the thing. Like doubling those lines helps with like just beefing things up and a bit of rowdiness. Just like just to, just yeah, that kind of like almost like um, it's funny. Like it's a bit off topic, but I've just been watching some videos of Arcade Fire, um, mm. and the way they like they'll have a, a like a lead vocal, but you'll have six of them singing it. Mm. at the same time and that's mm. kind of um maybe like a thing that we're doing more of with brasters these days is like just taking the melody and just not just doubling it but tripling it or quadrupling it so it just has a different kind of spice about it i was also actually going to ask uh, ask you guys if um if you felt since you've been playing in the Brastards, like how how it's affected like other parts you're playing like you know classical stuff or or whatnot like do you do you feel like anything in particular that you've like the sounds that you've developed from the bands have kind of like filtered over into stuff that you do in in more like you know like different areas of of, of your work mm, i think uh, i mean I, I don't know about you seb and johnny but i i think trumpets wise i've just i've learned so much of everyone else it's amazing you know just kind of like listening to you guys and just you pick up so much just from listening to your, your colleagues and, and friends and, you know, someone, maybe someone will come in and, you know, a dep or not, a, not a member of the band, someone will come in and, and play and, you know, kind of play something on a show and you're like, yeah, like that sounds awesome. You know, like kind of, mm. you know, you just, I'm constantly nicking ideas off people, <laughs> um, you know, stylistically as well, just like listen, you know, kind of, you know, we all kind of have a different personality, I think. And, uh, we all kind of bring something unique to the table and, you know, it's just nice to hear someone else, especially with me, because I don't have a kind of designated part, really. So I kind of do tend to float around. But I, but that means that if I'm playing another part, I'll listen to someone else, how they're phrasing something and think, oh, yeah, I'm going to try and mimic that. You know, that sounds that's not what I would have done. But, 
that's what I'm going to do from now on. You know, have you, uh, um, you guys talked about? Have you talked about Sevtone? In the podcasts. Oh, well, yeah. not yet. Not yet. No, we haven't. No. That's Still trying episode. to protect that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole episode in itself, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we can briefly talk about it now if you. Yeah, if you really do like. it. But, um, yeah, go on. Um, well, it's a thing that I, I guess you would call it a, um, a technical deficiency in my brain, <laughs> <laughs> which I've, I've learnt to harness um, and uh, re- reframe it as as a positive thing. Uh, <laughs> so there's there's well to get quite technical. There's a small range of um notes on the trumpet that occasionally um i get a sort of octave come out like a double buzz thing so it's from about g sharp in the stave up to about i don't know a third above that or something yeah and when i was growing up i would just thought oh this is rubbish i i don't think you're meant to do that um but then i just i don't know as soon as we started playing the brasters and and you're not sort of following a kind of classical way of playing anymore it's actually pretty useful and a lot of tunes come in that sort of range so so if you want to make it extra dirty stick on a bit of the old have you have you got that have you got that um trademark yet um, Have you got the patents or No, I haven't done that yet. No. Nobody else can do it, so it but doesn't matter. no one matter. else can do it. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't need to. It's no, like there you are hit some the... people that can can really do it, and, and they can do it way, like a much bigger range, and I'd I'd love to do that, to do it, you know, an octave above or something. Doesn't Chuck Finley do a bit of that? I think Chuck bit, Finley does it. A bit there's of septo. There's a bit on um, Robbie Williams' Swing When You're Winning. That's right. What track is it? Is it Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me? I think so, yeah. There's a bit in that where there's a trumpet solo and um, and it's so good. Yeah, yeah. animalistic. Um, yeah, but um, I was going to say as well, just about um, my own playing and just, uh, I've, I've just learned more about myself in sort of playing wise and finding my own limitations and what I'm good at. And, you know, there's just so much more when you've got, when it's your own band and and you're and you're in arrangements a lot of the time and 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 because we're because we're um because we're playing songs that are lyrical um i just get inspired by the you know original songs and 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 singers and over the years i've been working on that just getting better at playing lines and playing phrases and then that that really helps me when i go to to classical uh, playing as well or or whatever i'm doing um, and the other thing I was, I'll just say as well, um, I was talking to, to Seabass last week about we were doing the um, play along symphony thing for Sibelius 2. And if you know that part for trumpet, there's a lot of top quiet entries, uh, sort of top Bs and As and things that are very splittable. And I was saying, oh, should, should, we, should I try playing this on an E flat trumpet? Um, which, which would make it more secure, but wouldn't quite sound as good. And Dave was like, Nah, don't, just do it on B flat. <laughs> I was like, well, and then I thought, well, if I if I think about it, if I just pretend I'm on stage with the Brastards, um, yeah. which when I I always use a B flat trumpet, it's a completely different state of mind, and it? it's like so relaxed, and I hardly ever split a note in Brastards. Wooey! And I'm not, I, I don't know what it is. I don't, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just I'm totally at ease, and and just. I, I don't know. It's, it's a total state of mind thing, and that that's developed over the years. So I just mm-hmm. try and take that state of mind wherever I'm playing. Mm. If I'm playing, you know, in an orchestra, and I've got to do the same thing. I just pretend I'm on stage at the blues kitchen or something, and just yeah. float I, it out. And it's I think that's um, I think that's for me was like a a like a hangover from from being at college was was 
what I generated or that my peers generated a kind of a stigma around certain pieces of music that you were kind of almost meant to be fearful of them or you're meant to be kind of intimidated by their by their their difficulty um so like think as a trumpet player things like mile of five and alpine symphony and helen laban and you know the list goes on but the 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 kind of things that often get asked in in orchestral auditions and kind of they do they kind of stir up this this fear in some people i was one of those people and then when i kind of moved away from from doing as much orchestral stuff and got more involved with like pop music and and like recorded music over the years and brasses was a massive part of this but it just transformed my perspective on 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 what i was doing and and also what i think the danger of an orchestra sometimes and and like learning orchestral excerpts in like in isolation is that you don't necessarily relate it to what's coming before or what you're going to be a part of but in mm-hmm. brasses it's like you know you're just bracing yourself to be Beyonce for a minute so that's, yeah. you know yeah. there's nothing intimidating just, about that that's just I also exciting. wonder the, the other thing that, I, that I've definitely found has been uh, like totally transformative in my playing is that I think the pressures of um, of kind of freelance orchestral playing kind of well certainly for me manifest themselves with always being obsessed with like how you perceive people to be judging you, you know, like you go into to do a, a gig with an orchestra and you just keep like, fuck, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't fuck up anything here. Otherwise I'm not going to get asked back. And there's all the other surrounding pressures of like, you know, you know, are they going to, they're going to like me or whatever it is. And I think when you, when you have your own gig that you, that you can just kind of settle into, um, I definitely think that not only do, does the fact that like you don't have to worry about whether, you know, you're going to get asked for the next gig because, you know, hopefully in theory, unless you've done anything like catastrophically wrong, you know, you're going to, you're going to be asked back for that. But I think also just the other thing as well is that like, in terms of like, think, you know, perceiving how people are going to musically judge you, you just kind of, you stop listening to that voice in your head and you start listening to like, well, what's the sound I'm making and like, how does that blend and fit with everyone else? And so therefore I think you're playing just naturally, like as an extension of that starts to become a bit more natural and organic. So that that has been for me the biggest thing that I think is has has you know changed. Mm, yeah, for it's sure. different, isn't it? I think because it's because it's our baby, it's our band. Um, it, it kind of you know, every, and we're all friends as well. You know, we've all been friends for so long. You know, everyone's so comfortable with each other. We all know how how each other plays. You know, we've got this kind of telepathic kind of thing going on, and it's just nice, isn't it? it encourages you to find your own voice. I think. Um, Whereas, you know, kind of freelance-wise, um, like Eddie was saying, I think, you know, each each orchestra has got, like, a different style and certainly each brass section and certain trumpet players kind of play in a different way. And you, if you're freelancing, I think it's really about kind of you've got to really slot into what, what they're doing. Um, and and you do have to kind of adjust your... You can't completely be yourself. Um because you've got to kind of, you've got to kind of fit in with what's going on. It's the same thing with a, a West End show. You know, if you're dapping on mm-hmm. a West End show, you know the MD of the show is used to hearing it in a certain way. You know, you've got to play it pretty much how you know the person you're dapping for plays it. Whereas we don't have that those constraints in in the band. We can just literally play it however we want to play it, and there is no right or wrong wrong answer. I don't think. Yeah, 
I think for me and Barney as well, like being the tenor trombones, like it's quite nice for us because we don't use the same trombones for brasters that we would if we're doing a big orchestral gig. Like, you know, because the ones we'd use for orchestras for the listeners at home would be a bit, the, you know, if you don't know much about trombones, the pipes are wider. There are bigger trombones to make this big symphonic sound. But if we were to use them in the brasters, there's such a heavy workload when we're playing and we want a much poppier sound that we have to use trombones with a bit of a thinner pipe that give us a sort of lighter, more flexible uh, sound so that we can actually get through the gig without our chops falling off. So it's almost like when you do one or the other, it's like we've got a different costume change and you can just sort of slide into a different role, um, which might, you know, mentally helps you a bit. Um, and, you know, for me, playing next to Barney is just, it's always an education in itself because just trying to keep up with him, you know, he's sort of, <laughs> I, I, he's just, he's incredible. You know, he's one of the most incredible trombone players I've met. And he's, for a, a guy, you know, he's not the tallest guy I know, but he can be very loud when he needs to Whoa. be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He can really, when Barney's in full flight, he can just obliterate everything, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just to learn from him has been, you know, a, incredible. I, you know, I love it. I love playing next to Barney as well. It's just, it's a lot of fun and, mm. you know, keeps me on my toes. And, you know, we're all lucky that we get to play in sections, but Dickie, like for you, like tuba players, you're, to meet other tuba players is quite a special event, isn't it? Like you are like ships that, passing the night so how is like brastards for you like playing brastards and then being in an orchestra and then also like having to record there must be all the different sort of processes you have to go through to do stuff yeah well i think the brastards despite our roles being quite different with trumpets and trombones having the tune all the time and uh, hmm. see i'm playing the bass line but i've still learned so much from everybody else's play like i think when i first started off i was just very square and like no kind of vibe to my playing at all really and then just over the years kind of having listened to what everyone else is doing playing super short notes and like just how you'd emphasize certain phrases some would play it on the trumpet think oh, yeah should probably try and emulate that on this mm. little bit of a bass line it's been uh it's been great and uh I definitely have uh developed as a player uh because of that and uh it's affected my tuba playing i would probably not that so much for orchestral wise, um, mm. but I don't know. That's uh, not something that I do a huge amount of all the time, anyway. So it's uh, like I've, I feel that the Brastards is kind of taking my playing in a different direction from what I would have trained to do it as back when I was at college. Nicky, I was going to just say very, very, very briefly. What, what um, like, do you do? You have any sort of like overall comments about um, what it's what it's like to develop yourself as a as a like a bass player in a band particularly like how it feels to play beside rick and like i don't know is is that like how is that fed into your kind of overall tuba playing as a whole yeah it's been great i don't know me and rick have never actually ever really talked about anything that we do in the game. We never we haven't discussed <laughs> we do this here? Each other. Just, you don't speak i've got this you. kind of uh yeah. Yeah, I hate each other. That's the main issue. Yeah. And yeah. also, I'm deaf in that ear. That he, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting next to him for all because of years. Rick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know how we do it, but so he'll do one thing and then I'll just suddenly hear it and think, yeah, okay, I'm going to change things up and just play something that fits in with that. And then he'll do the same thing if I, uh, if I change things up and uh, he'll just like kind of latch on and immediately just switch and i think it's just because we play together so often that it's uh yeah it's great and i, I really miss 
the times when um, he's off doing panto in December mm. that it's not that any of the drummers that we come in that come in to help us out and play instead of Rick are not fantastic because they all are the all of sound. Uh, we've talked about him already. Fantastic drummer, <laughs> but just haven't got the same level of kind of psychic connection that I have with Rick from having sat next to him for however many years it is that we've been mm. been playing together. So Dickie. Yes, Chris. Sousaphone or tuba? Uh, well, I always play tuba just because, well, partly the sousaphone I have is about 100 years old. It's only got three <laughs> valves. And as you were very interestingly discussing the bore of your trombones, I, w- I will try not to bore you all with this. But... <laughs> It must be Friday. It's Friday. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the bore is quite narrow, so it makes quite a thin, parpy sound, which is great Mm. for kind of small groups, but it just isn't flexible enough for the Brastards. And when we first started as well, we didn't have any kind of amplification and it was all just acoustic, uh, Mm -hmm. so it just wouldn't wouldn't have carried enough. And I don't know, I quite like... I quite like the fact that it is a tuba. There's loads and loads of bands that play sousaphone and it's got a very distinctive sound and it sounds really cool. But yeah. I like that we do something a little bit different and we're not, mm. as a band, totally kind of rocking the New Orleans vibe all the time. We've got a quite more broad range of sounds, I think. Sometimes we sound uh, like we're playing in a West End show band or something like that or some kind of really tight funk band. So mm. I think having an instrument that's capable of doing everything is important. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we were talking uh, on a on a previous episode without you, actually, but just discussing the, the subby qualities, subby, you know, that sort of subwoofer yeah. sound that, that you can get with a tuba. Yeah. Johnny's demonstrating it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it just comes from shoving a microphone really deep inside the bell, which you can do with sousaphone. Yeah. Like you'll often see it just basically just get a like an SM58 or something and just gaffer tape it to the bell of the sousaphone. And that it get produces that kind of really, yeah, the subby bass sound that Is it sounds that more simple? like a bass Cause, guitar. Because I think the, I mean, particularly this, this uh, recording of Reptilia, but all, like all of uh, Johnny's new tunes... Just the tuba, the tuba noise on it is awesome. It's absolutely awesome. I don't know. Is hmm. is it just a case of just shoving that microphone down? Yeah, the bell well, a bit more? that's definitely a big part of it. Yeah, wow. like we did speak about it before, like the reg- the kind of like technical regression of of thinking like use an expensive microphone and then actually just put a um, put the cheap one down it and let D- Dicky do the business. Yeah, well, it sounds <laughs> awesome. What have you did? Yeah, well, and that's kind of what always happens on stage is that it's it's just not nothing fancy in terms of microphone just kind of a standard microphone that you'd have a gig but yeah quite deep inside the bell and trying to recreate that sound for the recordings well the obvious choice is just use the same stuff and then Mm, hopefully it'll sound the same yeah and like so we talked about this as well like you know when you obviously the ones that we're copying like you know the bass guitar very easy to play and make a big sound and you can just keep that whole <laughs> block of well you know sorry it's not easy but keeping the block of noise up keeping that whole oh, the sound going forward on a bass guitar is just you pluck the strings and that goes but obviously there's you with this instrument that's massive and you've just got to shovel the air through it so obviously like when you recorded this like you know you've got a sort of sometimes you have to work a bit of magic it, 
I'm guessing you probably just didn't do it in whole takes. You didn't do one whole take of the piece. Did you like chop it It was, all up? wasn't it? Actually, it was just yeah, one whole one take, take with no mistake. One breath, one take. How one take, one go. Yeah. 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 Upstairs for a bowl of lentil soup. Yes. Um, as you can Damn. see, the, the track is three minutes and 35 seconds and Dickie's session was uh, three minutes and 40 seconds. <laughs> So his lung capacity yeah. is three bits yeah. fifty-five. They don't call him the baby-faced assassin for no reason. No. <laughs> That's it. No. Yeah, but um, yeah, did you sort of take it in little chunks to really just keep the the energy up in each take? You know, each sort of phrase or yeah, I think it's definitely noticeable after kind of three minutes in that it, there is a noticeable tiring, particularly when giving it all and you do it kind of three or four times through. That yeah, mm. breaking it up and there are certainly a few places where we did it in little little tiny bits, just mm. covering breaths where on a gig, I might miss a note out or, you know, be a little bit late, potentially. I mean, uh, <laughs> very occasionally that might happen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously for recording, things have got to be a bit bit more accurate. So uh, yeah, just there's a bit of tricky trickery going on, but not loads, actually, I don't think. I don't know how it... I'd, it's interesting. I don't. You never know how it compares to anybody else's sessions. Whether Johnny's just like, oh my god, Dickie's coming in. He's going. In the words of Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares to you, Dickie. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Hey, Dickie, do you ever get um, sort of uh, addicted to the the power that you wield with that tuba? The the ability to make a room dance, to control when they dance. Does that is, is that a true thing to say or, or I don't I think I don't know but I, I feel like because I sit at the back that yes I know you can't really see if they're doing it or not <laughs> yeah Danier's in front of me <laughs> <laughs> I always feel that playing in the band it's like a, a a complete hole and that yeah without me but I think I think that, I think you I think they feel it don't they you feel the bass more than anything you mm. know like mm. you definitely notice it when it's not there yeah yeah um, but, you know, it's especially live gig, you know, you kind of, you walk into the room and just, you want to feel kind of, you want to feel your rib cage moving yeah. around, don't you? You know, that's... It's, it's I just such... wonder if you, because if you're in the crowd and and you're dancing and, you know, times where the bass drops out and then it goes all kind of, there's a high filter pass or something and then, then the bass drops in again, you feel that and everyone knows what's going on. I just wonder what it's like to be um, on the other end of that in control of of like delivering the bass do, do you do you notice that or do, do not, not really i don't I, i've like, never really like thought of it like that yeah that just like i'm just just playing my part like all the rest of you and uh i yeah, yeah. i mean obviously probably people are well hopefully are enjoying what i'm doing but i think that the seven of you stood at the front bouncing up and down bringing <laughs> loads of vibe as well and make everyone want to dance <laughs> as much as uh uh, me sat on a stool at the back, just trying really hard, counting <laughs> the rests. There's no eye in tuba. Uh, oh, God. No. Yeah. Is it you, though? I don't know. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Johnny, um, can I ask you a question? Please. Um, This one in particular... Is just, I mean, it's it's really when we play it live. Oh, it's like a, I get a real buzz off it. It's really, yeah. it's really electric, isn't it? Like, it's just something about it. It's just, it's a, an awesome tune, but just on brass, it just really, I don't yeah. know, it just really comes alive. Like, and you've captured that so amazingly well. Like, is there anything in particular you've done or is it a case of, like, just not tampering with things too much or what is yeah. it that makes... Because it really does come across on the track. It's as if we're in the room. Yeah. I, that's that's very nice. Thanks, mate. But also, I think I think like, I tried to suggest it earlier but was not very articulate. Uh, um, I, think, I think as songs go, this is almost perfect. I think it's in, an incredible song and... Um, for I guess the reasons really like it's succinct it's like a short tune um, it combines like very identifiable like simple parts but also with like this great proficiency like that that mad like and again like going maybe it's just my nostalgia but like like going back to being a teenager and hearing that it's like I don't know it's just it sounds like how could anyone ever play that um, and then like being 15 years older and like doing this a lot more and like, like trying to break that part down and then separate that part between the different trumpets. So like I might do like a bar and a half on first trumpet, then a bar and a half on second and, and like rotate back. So I guess like all of the elements of the tune are there. It's all this tune has also got that um, like amazing little device of stripping the bass guitar out and stripping the beat out. So the bit where the kick drum just like, um, where everything stops and then you've just got the guitar, which I think is panned right. Um, and for a, like, in, like in terms of talking about like getting people to dance and like, and DJs do this all the time. Like if you take the bass out, it makes people pay attention again. 
Um, and then there's this sense of anticipation. So like you take the bass out and you've just got this guitar, it's simple and like, it's kind of, oh, what's happening? And then you add in the kick drum, which again, like builds anticipation to when everything piles back in again. Like I was saying earlier, trying your luck isn't necessarily like the best tune in the world. So try and do something interesting. But Reptilia, to me anyway, is an incredible song and so well put together that it's about like this case was like trying to just be like, we all know this song. Let's try and imitate the energy of that song with with what we do with it. Mm. Um, yeah, that's... Johnny. Yeah, I, me- I remember you saying about that bit, um, the do 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 that yeah. bit. I remember you saying that when you first heard it, you just you were like, "What the hell are they doing?" That is <laughs> the know. best thing I've ever heard. What yeah. are even those notes? And I mean, it's actually quite simple when you when you look at it. Yeah, but it sounds. I'm, I remember fitting a similar thing as well. The first time I heard it. Yeah, it's like it's got this this magic feeling i think it's that, that interval of a of a i think it's like a, a tenth maybe mm, um yeah. but like and then having played quite a lot more guitar since that point as well like you you, you like that that's quite a, like a, a familiar shape on the guitar just a very kind of like full and comforting sound i think like those those kinds of chords like a low a low root note and that high third and yeah it's like it's it's so simple, but I remember at the time thinking like, well, I just don't understand how anyone's made that up. It's so <laughs> it's so good, um, but yeah, so it was nice. I also think that's one of that that particular bit from Reptilia. I think is of of, of almost like all of the Brassard's repertoire. I think is one of the the moments where the audience sings along the most to yeah. a bit that has no lyrics to it. Yeah, yeah, they get yeah. yeah. They get very laddy. It's amazing. I love that's it. That's it. And it's it, it kind of um, that again. Like that's a, a lot of people who come to our shows would maybe have grown up going to festivals in like the early, in like the late nineties, early to mid two thousands. At which time, like the the Strokes and Block Party and Arctic Monkeys and the Killers would have been playing. And so, like that's again, like massive part of what we do is just like bringing these very identifiable riffs. And lines that people have sung along to in fields for like, well, getting on 20 years. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, it's just, well, it's nostalgia and fun, really. Um, as a fun thing you can do, if you've got, if you've got a piano in your house and a uh, listener, just, um, what I like to sometimes, just play the interval of a tenth and then just go up, up and down. You can just do that all day. <laughs> yeah, it's very pleasing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite things to do. <laughs> Is that what, like when you what you used to do to play the Rugrats theme? Yeah, yeah. to do that. That's the same, yes. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Is that a third? That's a third. That's, That's the same as a tenth, tenth, isn't it? Right. Well, yeah, but a tenth's got a slightly different quality to it. I would argue. We could <laughs> do a whole new podcast on intervals. Yeah, yeah. This it's week. got to be up there as well. My top three intervals. It's a good one. All right. What's what's what what are your top three then, Seb? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was I was enjoying uh, fifths yesterday. Oh yeah. There's something very primal about fifth, isn't it? Yeah, mm. strong, mm. strong. Um, what you could another fun thing to do is is to start with a C and then play a C and a C sharp. See what that feels like. Oof. Oof. Just sit in that for a bit. Then Ooh, you play yeah. C and a D. Mm. See what that feels like. Mm. Just go up like that. Then C and an E flat. 
it, it feels like a proper development and then and you could go you know it, you're back to c and c again oh. and you could go up and up there's no limit you could just keep going there's no limit and could you also go down you can go down wow and then you could start the whole thing you could, the whole thing could be a semitone lower or a semitone all, higher and you could do this all you can do this all at home you don't need yeah. a you don't need a um special a license nothing or special any, just no, you just, know just a, a piano simple, Simple piano, um, and guys, that's that's music. Actually, Johnny, have you, have you talked about interval licenses? What what kind of license do we need? Do you need a do you need like a, a semitone license? There there are yeah, there are certain intervals that are illegal um, unless you've got the license. I can't disclose any more than that. Music, you effect, can find uh, it online. You can find these things online. It's like when we used to learn, was it in the figure? But if music, was it music effector? Was it the devil in oh. the, the devil in the chords? The oh, the old Diablo. That's the one. The, um, yeah, God. the tritone. The tritone. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Stravinsky loved the tritone, didn't he? Mm. Cheeky. Mm. Oh, I love a tritone. <laughs> I love a bit of um, Lydian. Yeah, lovely, fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, niche. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess I guess it's at this point in the podcast we would move over to um, Mr. Barney Philpott. Uh, oh yeah, Barney. Here he is. He's just come in the room. Hello. Hi, Barney. Oh, 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 guys, how's it going? <laughs> um, yeah, we would we would go over to. It's <laughs> inaccurate. I have to stand up for him there. Terrible. <laughs> Sorry, Barney. <laughs> Um, we, we were going with him to talk everything uh, music video to do with the release. But obviously, sort of being in lockdown, as we've talked before, we're sort of stretching our resources. Um, and the video for this one is yet to be made. Uh, as we put it to our, our fans and our audience to help us out and do their best reptile based dances, whether in costume or otherwise. So we're just bringing in all the all the uh, all the entries that we've had, all the submissions. And so hopefully at some point it will be out there in the ether for everyone to see. And hopefully all our fans that submitted can see a bit of their contribution to the video. And we had a good one from your nephew, didn't we, T-Bass? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've had, he got, we've he had got really into it. Yeah. Yeah. Little, little Jackasaurus Rex really, uh, really, oh. really expressed himself. Yeah. My sister got him a lovely um, dinosaur outfit. He's, he's, what is it? What is it? He'll be, he'll be six in August. So, oh, um, nice. Yeah, early birthday present and uh, lots of lots of funny videos of him running around the park in his T-Rex outfit. So hopefully that'll make it into the video. <laughs> oh, I think it'd be, it'd be quite quite the mainstay of the video. I think <laughs> I've got a little uh, I've got a little dinosaur costume ready for Ziggy to um, jump in and uh, have a go. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get him filmed up for some of it. Yeah, so we'll put that together. So you know the video is. Um, a work in progress at the moment. We're trying our best in lockdown to get things done. So yes, one's a work Can in progress. Can people still submit things? Oh, at the time of listening, it, yeah, why not? If just Depends send it, this goes out, doesn't we it? can always try and add it in. We could do an edit yeah. if it's already yeah. done. We try and get it in. Yeah. yeah, that'd be awesome. If you tag the band and uh, use the hashtag ODB Reptilia, that would be wonderful. One L, one L. One L, yeah. <laughs> One L. Oh, don't use two L's. Whatever you do. <laughs> One L. Um, but now we've got this bit of time. I just want to talk about yeah the three the three of you that have come in today because um, obviously Seabass, so, we'll talk to you and uh, mm-hmm. this will tie you in a bit as well, Mister Dicky Evans as well because Seabass, uh, you, you used to play in Black Dyke Mills Brass Band, didn't you? 
the, in the Jim Watson era, and a uh, long you know, time ago. Yeah, yeah. but that's uh, that's that's amazing. Like I remember, mm. you know, like that's that's. Then did Dicky, did you do a bit of Dyke as well when you were at the Northern, or did you were you fairies? I have, or? I have played with Black Dyke. Yeah, I was uh, in fairies for quite a long time uh, yeah. when I was at college, and before that was a uh, a member of the Mighty Flimby Saxon Silver. Oh, yeah. uh, I love the name of that band. The who? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Flimby, Flimby Saxon Silver Band, sadly now oh, defunct, wow. I think, oh. in West Cumbria. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, wow. Are they, Can, are they not going anymore, Dickie? I don't think so, no. I think, uh, yeah, times are hard up there. So I think, unfortunately, I think oh, they had to pull their players together and keep one band going, I think. Right. Oh, that's a shame. Some great players come out of that band. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because me and Richard, we've got a similar kind of background, really, haven't we, mate? We've got we have, yeah. With the old braid like, and brass, uh, shiny buttons. Yeah, like <laughs> real traditional kind of northern brass band kind of upbringing. So, yeah, I give a little shout out to my old youth band, actually, St. Helens Youth Band. I did uh, um, did a little recording for them recently during lockdown. As oh, amazing! One of the only time, one of the few times I've played actually. Um, but yeah, it was, it's quite nice. It took a world, it took a world pandemic uh, for us to actually for them to organise an alumni thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah record. <laughs> Don't forget so, to practice, though, kids. Don't forget to practice. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it took me quite, took me quite a few takes to get it actually. But yeah, um, really, yeah, really good. I I kind of joined joined the youth band. Um, when I was nine, actually, like mm. I'd only been playing for about six months, and then I played with them like up until I went to the academy, up until like the age of eighteen. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, that was yeah. So and then pretty much kind of that was just my only um, musical upbringing, really playing cornet and brass bands until I went to academy, and then yeah, discovered the trumpet. And did you never have the joy and... of playing in a wind band? No, no oh. wind bands. Oh no. wow, dodged it, dodged it. <laughs> No, and so when you went purely brass bands, and when you went to the academy, that was like the first time you had to do like transposing and stuff. Yes, yeah, never wow. trans, never played in an orchestra before. I, I literally, I literally just picked up a trumpet to do my auditions on my college auditions. Love it, and yeah, and that was it. Yeah, it's just that formative years we just spent um, playing lots of semiquavers on the cornet. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, how old? How old were you when you first started playing with Dyke? Uh, so I was, I was playing, I met Jim Watson basically, and he's, uh, God rest his soul. He's, um, he's probably the reason, uh, you know, why I'm, why I'm here really. Cause I, I met him, I was playing in National Youth Band and he was, he was, he was the guest conductor, um, one course and mm. yeah. And then just, and then invited, he was conducting Black Dyke at the time. So then he, um, Actually, it was the it, the re- I joined Dyke um, just after they'd uh, let the first female um, in the band because uh, for for about one hundred and ten years uh, it was an all male band. Wow! So um, yeah, yeah, um, a bit like old dirty bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely Ooh. not. We're v- v- very inclusive in our band, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. For I mean, it was that the same with fairies, Dicky. No females. Um, yeah, no. It was uh, well. It was Bex who was the first female who sometimes plays with the Brasted. She was the first, right? And she was still at school and came in on soprano cornet. And uh, oh, what? Was fairies? 
at fairies. Yeah, and absolutely. Oh wow, it. that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. That's amazing. I can't, I Sixteen yeah. or seventeen. Yeah. Did she play? Uh, like, was it like brass stuff? She came in and did a solo out the front. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, she joined. She was already in the band when I joined. Oh, so amazing! I missed, right. missed the audition process. Yeah, but I think it was and probably she, something like that. Yes. So she was the first ever female at fairies. Yeah, I think so. That's amazing. Who was the yeah, first at Dyke? Who was the first one There's at Dyke? A, a Scottish horn player called Leslie Howie. Right. Um, hello, Leslie. If you're listening, you're probably not. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, Jim, Jim was Jim was amazing. Jim was a massive advocate of of um, of kind of uh, women and, and and female brass players. My old teacher, Linda Nicholson, the um, my teacher from the age of nine. Uh, she was principal cornet of a band called Desford um, mm. when Jim used to conduct that kind of early early nineties. Uh, I think she was the first woman to win the to be principal cornet um, of the kind of national cha- championships. So, um, so and I think he, he had a bit of a pedigree of doing that. Really, I think when he was at Covent Garden, he he appointed uh, Ruth as his second trumpet player, and you know, so he was a massive advocate of that. So, yeah, I think. I think there was a bit of uproar. He he invited um, the first female horn player to join the band, and then actually something happened, and half the band resigned. Oh, what? Because of the woman coming in? Yep. Oh, wow. um, That's yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Something, something. There was some kind of something, some political thing, and yeah, something happened, and yeah, they they kind of basically had to rebuild the band from scratch. So. Um, I'd met Jim at, at the Easter course in the National Youth Band, and then he, I think he phoned my old teacher, Linda, and said, who, who he already knew already from Desford, and said, I'd like you and Dave to join the band, and you, you decide what parts you want to play. So she was like, right, well, I'll, I'll play assistant principal and, and uh, a 16-year-old um, sea bass was on Repiano Cornet. So, <laughs> wow, yeah. that's, oh, an, wow. that's a... Re- I've, I've known you all, like... All this time, and I've never heard that story. It's such a nice story. It is, yeah. That's yeah. like um, that's like when Marcus Rashford had his debut against Mitchelland in Europa League. <laughs> it was again, it, and and then that's he came right. on, came yeah. on, and scored two goals. You're like you're like the Marcus Rashford of of Black Dyke. Daniel Rashford, I think his name is actually. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you get it right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was and it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, we you know I'm. We, you loved it too, didn't you, Richard? We, we both had a great time. It yeah, was a, it was great. I mean, yeah. a lot at the time you, do, you don't really realise how much of your time you're giving over it to rehearsals twice a week, a gig every weekend, sometimes two, maybe even three, if uh, if you're really lucky, and just Stuck like getting on a coach at six in the morning down mm. to the south of the country, do a gig, back at two in the morning, and the rest of the day's your own. And then uh, <laughs> get up and do the same again the next day sometimes. But yeah, it was great. And uh, really good for you playing as well. Like, yeah. Able to play technically things that wouldn't, well, wouldn't be able to get anywhere near now. That's mm. for sure. And just, and, and things like sight reading and things like that, yeah, you know, yeah. just con- constantly learning new repertoire all the time, just having to like, you know, um, kind of rehearse on the day and, and then do a concert that night and things like that, you know. So, um, like, when I was in, when I was in Dyke with Jim, you know, there's the main emphasis was on doing concerts and stuff rather than the kind of contesting side of things. So, um, you know, we were doing some pretty savage repertoire. Um, 
and yeah it's great for technique and stamina and things like that you know I think up, up until the age of 18 it's a for a brass player it's a really you know it's a really good thing to do yeah, I mean, um, how did it change when when you went to the trumpet? Uh, I'm I'm sort of thinking I've, I've been watching um, the Last Dance. Mm. It's a bit like when when Michael Jordan went from basketball to baseball and then back to basketball. <laughs> again. Was it a bit like that when you when you, when you kind of went from the cornet to the trumpet? You kind of had to you know rethink everything, like just calibrate everything slightly differently. Yeah, I think so. I think I was lucky because I, I you know my my teachers at academy were all former cornet players. So they kind of knew where I was... Right, yeah, they, yeah. they all knew where I was coming from, I think, um, which definitely helped. You know, I think kind of uh, they would see it as, you know, there's there's a lot of things stylistically. There's a few, you know, kind of bad habits maybe to kind right. of iron out a little bit. Um, but and but it's just, there's a lot of things where you just you're just kind of adding things, you know, kind of... Um, it's not a case of just like scrapping it and starting again. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, yeah, it's just a, a lot of it is just kind of just adding, um, new ways, um, new perspectives on things stylistically and stuff. So, yeah, that's it. There's a quite a lot of people that have, have come through that way of, of learning brass. Um, and yeah, lots of, you know, principal trumpets and all people, not, you know, all sorts of positions in orchestras um so it does seem like it, it's a it's a great way of uh doing it and and you know with a final end product of being a trumpet player mm. or not you know but some people mm. they stay in the brass band world but um obviously it works it's um I, I guess you have a fantastic work ethic and your technique is solid and then it doesn't actually take too much to then just learn a bit of transposition maybe you know just i don't know if you have to sort of think about projection a bit more or? i think so yeah i think I, I think the main you know the main thing is that I, for a cornet player in a brass band a british style brass band you're really like um you know it's you're, you're really like a violin that it's really like a violin section so mm. um you know there's a yeah. lot of kind of lot of melodic passages and uh kind of beautiful phrases to play and things like that but yeah kind of trumpet wise it's a little bit more I say it's a bit more kind of prominence to the sound, and uh, most of it is articulation. I think um, just um, yeah, being a little bit kind of clearer with the production, and um, it's a bit more defined. And you've got to kind of cut through at the back of the orchestra, you know. So yeah. it's got to be a lot of kind of attack and a lot of front, you know, to to be able to carry carry through the sound of the of the, of the orchestra. So whereas playing the cornet in a brass band, you're really you're, it's 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 kind of you're part of that harmonious kind of sound. You know you've got to blend really well. Yeah. Um, and whereas being a trumpet, you can kind of stick out a little bit more. I think. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. well, we do zone one brass once a year, don't we? We we Hell go yeah. for the for <laughs> the areas. Yeah, Dicky too. Uh, Johnny's done it as well. Chris, mm. you you've never done it, have you? No, I think I got asked. I got asked one year to do it on baritone. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, oh. no thanks. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't um, sure. I wasn't sure if like sea bass and trods. They, they, I wasn't sure if you guys were still doing it. So I was just like, nah, I'm all right, thanks. Oh, and then, you, didn't you didn't fancy a bit of barking iron? Uh, no, no. Yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we do that once a year. So and, and we do the the areas at Stevenage, and sometimes we get through to the the finals at the Albert Hall. So I always love that time of the year. It's always in March where it's like a concentrated few days where we suddenly all our world is about brass bands and and 
and I'm a, I never did brass bands really growing up. So I've learned most of everything from, from sitting next to Seabass. And, uh, and I, I just love it. I love, um, I love the way just when we're warming up before a brasses gig, sometimes you'll just, you'll switch on the cornet side of playing and it's mm-hmm. like some you've pressed the button on your cornet and it's just yeah. this beautiful cotton wool sound there's sort of there's almost like no center to the note it's just like this oh, this beautiful warble <laughs> yeah i love it so much yeah um, well i love yeah. sitting next to you in the band as well because you you know that's the great thing about that band is that it's a real mixed bag isn't it you've got the likes of me and and dicky who kind of come from that background and have maybe moved away moved down to london and yeah and um and then you've got the likes of yourself and who just i've never played in a band before um and it's you know like you'll kind of look over to me and you'll be like really is we gonna play it like that and i'm like yep that's how we're gonna play it <laughs> that's that's how we do it and you're you're like really that but that's ridiculous that doesn't make any sense but i'm like well yeah well that's how we've done it for the last 200 years Seb. so uh um, if you, you, you want to win that's how you gotta do it yeah, yeah yeah but it's yeah stylistically i suppose it's kind of you can tell can't you you can tell i think that the players that have come from that from that um um, upbringing, you know, it's yeah, quite, yeah. And they'll, um, they'll always help a drummer or percussionist with their gear at the end of the night as well. It's uh, instilled <laughs> yeah. from it's a young age. Just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to get the got to get the drums back on the bus. <laughs> I had a very different brass band upbringing because I played in a southern brass band, which I think is probably a bit of a different experience to to playing in a northern brass band. I definitely think it's it's a lot less intense. I think I just mm. I don't know. I don't think it's quite the sort of because having not them come from a mining background. I don't think it's quite as entrenched in them and stuff. So I think it's a more, I don't know, it's it's still fun and you get to do a lot and play a lot, but I think there's definitely less intensity in it. And I think, mm. you know, that's just, that's a shame because I would have liked to experience what it would have been like to play with one of you guys like from the North. Um, yeah, but I just always remember there was this like, euphonium player on second euphonium who was always there and really nice old guy, uh, lovely. But I, I remember saying to him, oh, yeah, I know I'm in the, you know, he's asking how I'm getting on. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go down and see the this orchestra play in the week. Got a school trip to go and see. And he's like, oh, go and see those pretentious orchestral brass players. You know, and it was, I think it was to see the LSO. And it's like, well, Ian, you know, at the time it was Ian Bowsfield on principal trombone and Maurice Murphy on principal trumpet. And it's like, I, that's his name. <laughs> I, I think he might be dead. Dropped he might, in it. I think he might be dead. But, um, <laughs> but, but, um, but I was just like, I they're like they're lovely guy they've come from brass bands they were brought up from brass bands you should go and watch them like you know these are these are where they all come from all those amazing players they all that's where they all start you know so it's just it's a funny little attitude sometimes i was just sometimes i was a bit baffled and sometimes it's an amazing place to be but it was quite sort of like Mm. it is it's quite yeah it's quite funny isn't it it's it's um i suppose like you say because of the associations with collieries and mm. you know there'd be um like cotton mills and uh kind of glassworks or they'd all kind of have their like brass band you know that would be their thing it's, it's almost like their club yeah it's their team yeah yeah, yeah. you know so you, you know people are, are very loyal to that and you know you get kind of i think i think there's i think there's a couple of guys in black dyke that's still there from when i was in the band and that we're talking you know it's i think i left in I went to college in 2001, you know, so yeah, they've, been, they've been in the band all that time, and which is 
fantastic. Yeah, life is. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck yeah. here for life. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's, you know, I, I definitely got a little bit of, oh, like, what, what do you want to, what do you want to go down to London and learn trumpet for? Um, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah. yeah it's, it's what I wanted to do. As, I, I think as soon as I met Jim, um, that was it. My mind was met. I, I was kind of. I don't think I really, I really thought about it until then. But um, we 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 came down. I came down and did a few concerts at the academy because the band uh, were like brass band in residence or something. Mm. So we we we. I came down to London a few times and did some kind of side by side things with the academy brass ensemble. And I was just like, oh, this is. I think this is. I, you know, somewhere I'd like to go. Um, yeah. So it kind of opened my eyes to a whole new new world of possibilities yeah amazing yeah <laughs> fantastic mm. now eddie eddie i'm going to turn to you because obviously you know i've got uh dickie and Seab- Seabass talking about sort of their experiences pre going to music college playing with brass bands but then there's you and rick um and this is this is going to be nicely documented because um obviously the bbc used to make quite a song and dance out of the young musician of the year competition you know it used to get on the main, the two main bbc one and bbc two channels and now it's sort of been pushed back to bbc four or sort of maybe more online and I, I, is it is it taking place this year was it meant has it been going on yeah to sort of stop it yeah so uh, Ed, i watched the semi-final i don't know what's happened after has that, it all sort of halted after that i'm not sure yeah hmm. well eddie and rick our drummer were both in the young musician of the year percussion final when they, they were, were, when they were, no. yeah, yeah, I didn't know same that. yeah, yeah same I, love, I, I love it, yeah. That was the very oh, first time that I met. Get out of town! Yeah. That's when you met. No, I did not know. We, there must be some archive footage we can dig out. Oh, there's, there's got to be loads. Some absolutely yeah. extraordinary photographs of uh, of me and Rick back in the day. Yeah. What year was this? 2004. Was that the Nicola Benedetti year? Yeah, I did. I, I remember doing an interview with Nicola Benedetti for BBC wow. Radio Scotland time. Uh, <laughs> Seb, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's very impressive knowledge. Thank that. you. Yeah, <laughs> great memory. But impressive. Thanks yeah. very much. Is that your specialist subject on Mastermind? Yeah, I can name I can name all of them. I'll start from the beginning. Michael Hext. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can't remember anymore. Brilliant. So yeah, how was how was it being in the final, the percussion final, Eddie? Well, it was. Uh, I mean, just talking about my experience with Rick, uh, that was the very first time that I met Rick, and I mean, truth be told, Rick scared the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can imagine Rick, what he's like now. Back then, he was. It was just like he was. Like, he was out for death. He was out. He was out to to slaughter the competition. And, uh, <laughs> And also classic, classic Rick. You know, he's such a. I mean, he's he's just one of the most technically extraordinary players that, uh, that mm. I know. And he played this this really amazing piece, which, you know, I barely managed to get around uh, for my master's final recital. And Rick was playing it at the you know the age of seventeen or whatever. This this piece by uh, Zanakis called Ribbons, and he was you know most people play it with with two mallets, and Rick played it with four mallets, and I was like, what? Rick's there playing this piece with four mounts. I'm like, God, that's like the hardest piece, you know. It was it was absolutely incredible. Um, that that was quite a seminal uh, experience, I think, for both of us. It was up in Glasgow at the RSA and D. Um, the final, uh, I played um, a lot with this very good friend of mine at the time. Another percussionist called Stuart Semple, aka the Sempleizer, um, <laughs> who was this absolutely insane. Uh, 
Scottish percussionist. I mean, like extraordinarily talented, amazing, mm. amazing guy. Uh, we knew each other from the National Youth Orchestra of Scotland. So I I did a, a piece on the rimba, which um, I got Stuart to play. It was kind of like a Japanese piece, and I got Stuart to play some kind of sounds um, and textures behind that. And then I put together a band for the final piece, and I played this song by this this piece by Ray Barreto called "Song for Channel," um, which is like a kind of six eight Afro Cuban thing. Um, and it was the band was amazing at the time. So it was it was me. Uh, on percussion, I played congas. Uh, Stuart played drums. Um, Callum Gourley, a very young Callum Gourley, played bass. Um, at, at, the, at the time, no one knew who Callum Gourley is, but of course now he's you know one of the most who is he uh, iconic. <laughs> oh, Callum! Callum's probably I'd say he's probably one of the most <laughs> iconic bass players I think in the UK right now. Amazing jazz bass player, plays with absolutely everyone. Uh, did a lot of stuff with Tommy Smith. Um, he went to the academy as well. Amazing, really amazing jazz bass player. And then um, on trumpet was none other than, than uh, uh, Richard Turner, H-Man, of course. Uh, he himself, he's no longer with us. Um, yeah. At the time, uh, when I was at the academy, I had just completed uh, my foundation course because i i only started playing percussion when i was 16 so i i kind of did like 18 months of playing percussion and then i thought oh fuck it maybe i'll try and apply for for music college and so i i, I 16 for... no way yeah well i was playing before that i i just i just played guitar just played guitar and rock bands um right um so that was that was and for a while basically i was i was i wasn't sure whether i was um whether I was going to do music, because the other big thing that I was always really interested in, in uh, when I was a kid was was astrophysics. Bizarrely, so I, was, I, I got in when I figured it's like Brian May, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the Scottish, you're the guitar Scottish and Brian astrophysics, May. the Scottish yeah. Brian May, yeah. So I got how do you in, feel about badges? <laughs> uh, uh, very, very passionately about them. Thinking, yes. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure whether I was going to do music, so I, I applied for, for a couple of music colleges and then applied for astrophysics. So, um, and the music colleges that I applied to were just ones that did foundation courses because I just didn't think that I was going to get in anywhere. So, yeah, so I did this foundation year at the academy. Um, that's what I ended up doing. And I'd done that first year, and my teacher at the time um, was basically just like, definitely don't do the BBC Young Musician of the Year. Like, you're, you're not good enough for it sort of thing. Um, and I just sort of was like, I'm, I just was like, oh, no, I definitely want, I definitely want to do it. I definitely want to do this. So I did it, and I kind of managed to get myself through to the final. Um, and it was just wonderful, yeah. Playing with Rick um, in the final, another really good friend of mine, Adam Clifford, uh, who's a, a wonderful percussionist, uh, an actor who I work with a lot in in my other job. Yeah, amazing, cool. Um, hey, guys, I'm very sorry. I have, I have I have an appointment at six o'clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. Um, I could have to. Is it is it called Norwich versus Southampton? No, oh. no, it's not. It's called um, it's called um, interval training. <laughs> oh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. In Beckham yeah. Place Park. Nice. Wonderful. Nice. So start with with middle C, middle C and then, then C, C and C yeah. sharp. <laughs> so I'm gonna play go and without a license, gonna go and play the interval of a tenth over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, um, we'll, wonderful. We'll wrap it up now because yeah. So Johnny, sorry. if you want to jump off. 
That's bye, guys. Nice one, Johnny. Bye, bye. 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 See you soon. See you, bye, mate. Bye, bye. 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 Yeah, so thank you very much for our three new faces for coming in today. Um, if you've liked what you've heard and you haven't listened to the other three podcasts that have been before, please like and subscribe and leave us a review, preferably five stars. That would be... Uh, that would be really handy. Um, and then next up in the series is going to be release number five of our singles, Waterfalls by TLC, um, which is, we're going to change over a little bit. And this is where um, we've talked about before, Barney is the producer. So um, thanks very much for taking the time to, to listen. Thanks for coming in, guys. And see you all soon. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.